living a life of examination from a guy who hates the idea of examinations in the test capacity. I live very consciously and look at my life quite often. As a matter of fact, I've done somewhere around 111 episodes of a show I talk to you about myself. That's pretty examined. Kept a journal since I was 13 years old, but you'll hear more about that later from the past version of myself, the 20 minutes ago version of myself. I explore, without defining it, how you get to the next evolution of you. How you become the you that you are meant to be, how you become the you that you want to be. And I know this. I further go into the topic that has been the most pervasive one on this show, which is, why are we here? What are we doing? What does this all mean? What is this fleshy robot body that I walk around in, and why do I have it here at this time on this planet? If you've been listening this long, you like that. That's your thing. And if this is your first episode, lucky you. I'm jealous. Especially because you get to listen to it, not edit it, and not do it. (laughs) So without giving too much away, I welcome you to the episode that I believe is 111. And I thank you for listening. This is Psychotherapy. I'm Jet Dunlap, and that episode starts right now. You should journal. You see movies and television shows or you read a book. And whenever a person goes to a psychiatrist or a therapist, they say, well, why don't you journal your feelings? Why don't you just dialogue basically with yourself? And I might even be saying that. That may be a better way of putting it. So good for you, Jet. Within the first 10 seconds, you've already complimented yourself. No lack of confidence here. I have what I think of as a new journal. And that journal has over 700 entries. I discovered that last night when I was journaling for the third anniversary of my sobriety. More on that later. And those 700 entries, if you put them in a notes page or or Word document, they're probably about four or five pages each. And what's kind of fun about it is I can't explain why it's helpful except for the fact that there's no question that I have lived an examined life. Just by the nature of hearing this show, you know this is true. When you go to Weight Watchers, and I can only speak to the ones that I know, but I have been a personal trainer. My wife was a fitness instructor for over 10 years, and she was a professional ballerina, which (laughs) in some way injects me with her knowledge. Well, I've been around the woman for a long time. I did martial arts, blah, blah, blah. You've heard my resume if you listen to the show. I know a little bit about this. But when I first went to Weight Watchers, I was a big fatty fat fat. And I was drinking too much. Hence the three anniversary of my sobriety yesterday. What they would get you to do is something that I always had the impression of prior to walking in the door, but they were good at explaining it. That was what gets tracked is going to get changed. So tracking is a big part of it. Now, what is tracking? It's something that I've always said is eating consciously. And the reason I point to Weight Watchers is because, in my opinion, there's no system out there that's better than them, uh, not only on their track record, but the fact that they are attacking the psychology of food as opposed to 
just attacking the fitness side. When I was a trainer, I left training as I left many fields because I hate money. (laughs) So I do the show. No, because I knew it wasn't going to do anything. I had a lot of people who are very passionate in the gym and then they would eat a whole pizza the night before. And when this was a five foot two woman in her 50s, that was really going to hurt her goals. It made me feel that I was incapable of helping these people to do anything other than exercise in a gym and still be out of shape. So why do I talk about it? Well, fitness is something we can all relate to in any aspect. Uh, Diet, not dieting, but your diet. So when it applies to life and fits into journaling, it is living an examined life, which is living a conscious life. I know so many people And I knew them when I was a kid, but when I knew them as a kid, I didn't have the whole in-real-time experience with them. But I know so many people my age who have been at the same job for almost 20 years. They got it when they were in high school or something. And they don't know they're working there. Think about how profound that would be if you just showed up here from another planet, you were an alien, and you found out that was the case. How could you work at a place for 20 years, and this goes all the way up to 30, 40, 50 years, And you've never looked at the fact that what you're doing is something you may not like. I'm sure that when this goes out eventually, the penny may drop for some people and they will be blown away at the fact that this is the first time they're thinking about that. You can work a job and retire from it. And we've seen this in movies and television and we've seen it in real life. But if you've not seen it in real life, you've seen it in narrative, which is why I point to those two particular examples of television and film or novels. Because you get to experience life in its entirety in a bite-sized piece as opposed to having to go through the whole thing. It gives you an edge. But we've seen that when people get to the end of their career and they retire, they think, what have I done with my life? I've always thought about that. I left AT&T after four short years. The most significant job in my entire life was four years. The longest I've ever had a job in my entire life is four years, a full-time job. I've done subcontracting work. I've done film and television for 20 years, even though I'm 30. So go figure on that. I guess I was a child star for the purpose of that story. They do this and they wake up as if from a dream because you guys know that I'm almost done with my uh, hypnotherapy certification. And just like hypnosis, they were in a trance. Their job was a trance. Eating is a trance state. And if you don't examine that, you're going to keep slipping. So when I was 13 years old and I was going to go to Hawaii as an employee, the only time I really travel on a commercial aircraft was as an employee for my wealthy aunt and uncle to take care of their princess. Not literally, their daughter, but that was their princess. I think you got it, but I like to cover the bases just for my slow listeners, which I'm a part of, so big ups. They say that still? I was an employee, and that was made very clear to me while I was there, but I was taking care of my cousin, and before I went, when I was in school, my teacher said, as an assignment for summer, because, you know, teachers want to steal your summer, too, because they're pure evil, I want you to journal. And I got this journal when I was out with my mom, like Hallmark, which is where you did that. On the front of the journal was a hamster with a giant pencil. And we all know hamsters can't write, but this was not a photograph. This was a drawing of a hamster writing. And so every journal entry I ended, I said, good night, Hammy. Hammy was what I called the hamster on the cover of this. And I think Hammy was my uncle Matthew's hamster when he was a kid. And because my mom and dad were so young when they had me, I knew all the recent stories of the childhoods of my aunts and uncles. Every night I'd write to Hammy. And that son of a bitch bastard never got back to me. Sorry about my vulgarity, but I wrote probably 
200 pages into a hamster journal, which is what I'm calling it now, and the hamster never got back to me. How rude. Prior to that, I was already living a very examined life. But since 13, I've been self-examining what I do. And that is why a journal is important. I often say, or you don't have to, or it's not necessary. Nothing in life other than biological automatic functions are necessary. I don't need to tell you to breathe. You're doing it. If I do need to, don't forget to breathe. So I can't tell you it's necessary. But I will say that if you want to move in a direction where your life is deliberate, take it from a guy who lives one of the most deliberate lives you'll ever know of. I live a very closely scrutinized life by my nature. This is a thing I've had forever. So when I give you this advice, it's coming from a place that knows what it's talking about. So where's the value? Why are we here? Is a question that I ask almost every episode now. That has quickly become the most prevalent topic of this show. Why are we here? And if you're walking around at Ross right now and you just looked around at your surroundings and you thought to yourself, Chet, you're right. I don't need another Kenneth Cole belt. Leave Ross. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the physical surroundings that you're in right now. I'm talking about Spaceship You. Whatever your name is. Let's say it's John. John is the name of the spaceship you came to Earth on through your mother, your mothership. And it is the spaceship you will exit this planet with. And you will leave, you will jettison from here in an escape pod that is pure energy. The only source that can travel the universe. Matter, in a world with Elon Musk and all these people trying to go to Mars, will never be able to move fast enough to explore this universe. However, energy can move at a speed that could explore this universe. So therefore, another piece in my puzzle as far as the belief that that is how we go around and go to other worlds is through pure energy. So if we are incarnated on this planet, there's two ways to look at that. There's a third way, which is not looking at it, but I can't speak to the not looking at it. The first way is, it's an accident, who cares, whatever. Smoke them if you got them. When I talked to someone at Thanksgiving last year, right after my grandfather died, a relative of mine, I had just had a friend die, and this person had had a friend die too. And he said to me, Jet, all this tracking food, all this working out you do, all this effort at pursuing these careers of your dreams as opposed to just going along to get along, is it worth it when you realize it could all end? Like it had in our mutual relative, my grandfather. So it was an existential question for this person to think, here's this point in their life where they're exposed emotionally to death in a way they had never been before. And my answer is, is there reason why not to? Of course. Because we can die, we have to do this. So obviously, in a show that has 111 episodes, I'm that guy who thinks there's something more to this than just do what you like. That idea when I used to know smokers as a kid, who the people who smoked would say, well, you know, I know this will kill me, but it'll just take those years that I don't want anyway. But that's the wrong way to look at it. If this adventure of incarnation is deliberate, and I know it to be, and you chose it partially, and something bigger than yourself, call it God, call it whatever you like to, 
had something to do with that too, then this incarnation is here for your experience. And to give up those days for an indulgence like cigarettes may be a life lesson, but I doubt it. So I journal because I think this is on purpose. I often find myself in a position where I question that decision. So basically, people who know me, I'm thinking of a number of friends right now, so I'm smiling. I'll say, ugh, Jet, why did you do this? Why did you choose this? And what am I doing to myself? People say that. Why have I done this? Why did I get in this relationship? Why did I get this job? You're asking yourself a thing, which is your higher self, whether you know it or not. The thinker and the knower, I've talked about that before. So if you can do that, I believe that we're here for a reason. That reason may not be to change the sport of curling, which is what I know you think it is. It may be to explore life through the perspective that you have uniquely at this moment. And in that case, journaling is reminding you of your narrative experience. And there's a lot of value in that. And living a conscious life is interesting. I've gotten to a point now, and for everyone it'll probably be faster, but I'm a slow learner, extraordinarily slow learner. I mean, profoundly slow, like quantifiably slow. Go to the episodes where I talk about how my reading level is and my writing level. It'll blow your mind. (laughs) I've gotten to the point where I feel like I'm living in my own book. I think about a thing and I see it the next day. I believe I can talk to my former self as a child and vice versa, without time. I can look at chapters of my life and feel like I can actually move around in that existence. That may be a metaphor, it may be me being literal, but either way wouldn't matter. The point is, I'm so aware of this being a narrative that I act according. This is a game. And that's an interesting statement because I've never played video games. I hate them. Just like I played golf once. And the only reason I'm thinking about that is I've been cleaning out around our property and I found some golf balls. And I talked to my brother and he played golf. And he said, I never knew you played golf. And I said, yes, I played golf like twice. And I actually played once. I returned the clubs that day after playing because I said I will never devote my time to something that won't make me physically better or mentally sharper. And Stephen said, yes, you'd have to play it for playing's sake, for the love of the game. And in this incarnation, the Jet Dunlap you're listening to right now, that was the most insane statement I'd ever heard. We're in a game, so why would I play a game inside a game? The game is life. And experience is the goal, but following one's path, one's intuition, one's conscience, that's how I believe we measure our success. Examining this experience is necessary. There's a definitive statement. How many of you were raised by people who did what they did unconsciously? Most of us. How many of you people have had teachers or bosses who it was just their whim and their emotion? You got treated according to how much sleep they got. What if what they did was deliberate? What if what you did was deliberate? From eating to what time you do a thing, what your hobbies are, what your career is, 
your associations. When I got back from Mammoth, when we left because of the fire, I took that as a sign. And since then, this happened in September and now it's late October, ever since then, I've been purging myself of belongings. Now, when Gina and I lived in the apartment, we did this a bunch of times. And then when we went from the apartment to a less than 100 square foot RV that we live in, we did it even more. I got rid of items yesterday that I've had for more than half my life. I felt something for a second. I thought, a part of me is in this object that I haven't seen for 20 years. And I threw it away before I could change my mind or donate it. Gina donated, I mean, a massive amount of stuff. Stuff that used to mean things to me, but I got rid of it because I realized my impermanence. And that may sound morbid, but it's not. I told my mom and Gina on our thing we call the Squawk Walk, which is this walk we go on where we run into beautiful peacocks. And we found some great peacocks yesterday. We had them for a while because it was too hot. We also saw a gopher and an eagle and some hawks. But the point of that story is not the uh, animals I saw. Because, you know, in an audio world, it's not that interesting. I told my mom that 0.05% of my conscious space was freed every time I got rid of something. I wouldn't be doing these things if I hadn't lived consciously and writing in a journal for all these years. Every time I got rid of one of these pieces of memorabilia from my past, these museums to my prior existence in this world, I felt a quantifiable notch more free. I felt a percentage more free than I did before I did it. It was hard. And it was way harder when I had to do this six years ago. Now it's much easier. It's much easier for me than most people. But what I told my mom too is I said, these are things that people would have had to have gotten rid of when I die. I'm doing them a favor. How crazy is that? I've talked about the notion that when I used to drink, and even before that, I would say things like, well, that's future Jet's problem. Smoking, drinking, making a bad decision, or putting off work around the house. That's future Jet's problem. Well, I've been future Jet for a long time now. I am the present person who is dealing with that idiot in the past. And I've sold or gotten rid of 98% of what the previous me owned. So what I'm doing right now is rebuilding the RV to be sold. The trailer, our off-road trailer, will be sold. And even the FJ, my pride and joy, my dream off-road vehicle, because I like it so much, I've decided I have to sell it. Isn't that funny? I don't allow myself to become emotionally attached to material objects because I am impermanent. Does that sound strict? Does that sound crazy? I think it's a beautiful meditation. I think it's an incredible way to live. We end up losing or letting go of everything in this life. At some point, everything at once. If we remove those things early, they are no longer weight on our shoulders. I understand this could be incredibly difficult for some people. My father is one of those people. 
He loves buying things, and he loves even more to own them. Some of the things he buys, and I may be telling tales outside of school, but, uh... (laughs) He buys things and doesn't even use them. And that sounds crazy to me, but there are a lot of people listening to this show right now who that does not sound crazy to. I have reduced almost everything I own to a couple of. I probably had 40 hats. Now I have my nice hat, the hat I wear every day, and then running hats. They don't actually run for me, but they are good for running. But even being able to think about the things I own is taxing my mind. Wasn't this episode about journaling, Jet? It was. And it's been a little while since I've done an episode, and I've been thinking about what to say. Journaling is living consciously. What I've been talking about is living consciously. When you do a little, it makes a lot. Being a vegetarian, not drinking, ended up making me reshape our entire living situation, our environment. And now I'm getting ready to go on to the next chapter, and I feel intuitively that I'm close to it. And by putting myself in a position where I can leave quicker, I think I'm tempting the universe to make my eventuality that I'm looking forward to happen sooner. It is up to you, loyal listener, to decode the Rubik's Cube of my episodes. And I don't apologize for that. I do hope that this meant something to you, because as always, I didn't know I was going to say it until now. So I'm out of words. I thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you next time.